Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is your boy, Ryan Leslie, and I can't wait to share with you my conversation with Elliot Bisnow, a longtime friend and founder of Summit and Utah's Powder Mountain, where he shares with us his vision of a future community on the largest mountain range in North America. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's Work Radio, iHeartMedia, your boy, Ryan Leslie, and this is Art of the Hustle. This episode, we have one of my main guys, man. I mean, seriously, one of the guys that really put me in the game in terms of networking, none other than Elliot Bisnow. So Elliot, man, I I like to always start out by just giving you an opportunity to just do a 30-second bird's-eye overview of what's most important to you in terms of what you're working on right now. So go ahead and take the floor. I'm 31 years old. I'm the founder of Summit, and Summit is most well-known for building a global flagship event. So if you could imagine Woodstock meets Burning Man meets a business conference, We've had tens of thousands of people who've come over the last nine years, and it's, it's part music festival, it's part intellectual mind meld, content. Uh, we've had you know, thousands of speakers, hundreds of musical acts, and Summit is also uh, building a physical location. We're actually building a town. We bought a 10,000-acre mountain range uh, in northern Utah by the border of Idaho and Wyoming, and we're literally building the town of the future. And I always say what Tesla did to cars, we want to do to a town. So that, that's, that's an extremely ambitious introduction. Let, let's go ahead. Let's jump back and get some backstory on how someone like yourself can even come to formulating that kind of idea in your brain. So, so let me take it all the way back. Your family, incredibly interesting. Your father, Mark, journalist, ex-public relations guy, your mom, Margot, a former Federal Trade Commissioner who just wrote a book that we'll get to later. Your brother has gone on to, you know, just make incredible waves in the music business um, and do it on his own terms. What is it really like to be part of the BizNow household coming up? Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C., literally in the city. 
And my parents have lived now in the same house for 30 years, still married. And I had a really traditional upbringing. Um, I did not hear the word entrepreneur until I got to college. I went to the University of Wisconsin um, because truthfully, I didn't get into any other college I applied to. And I have all the rejection letters. Um, and I didn't get into six schools. And I got into Wisconsin and I was super fired up and it was awesome. Mm. Um, but growing up, I never heard that word entrepreneur. I didn't know it was possible. Um, and, you know, my brother and I were really focused on, on school. Um, neither of us were really good at it. Um, my brother got into music, but, you know, here he was 12, 13, 14 years old and didn't really know how to channel it. So he started writing, you know, writing songs. And um, it was, it was, it was, there was no idea that you could build a career. Um, and I got to the University of Wisconsin really, you know, just, I remember I was, I was hoping to get, you know, an internship the summer after my freshman year. And I had a mind blowing encounter in the middle of my freshman year in college. <clears throat> I walked down the hall of my dorm and inside of one of the dorm rooms, someone was screen printing t-shirts. And I asked the person, what, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm making T-shirts. And I said, cool, well, who hired you to make the T-shirts? He said, no, I actually saved up money and I bought a, a screen printing press and I'm doing it myself. And the money I save being an RA, like the RA basically resident advisor pays for my, you know, my housing, but I make you know, 1,500 bucks a month and that actually you know, pays for my tuition. And it was like this light bulb went off. It's like, wait, you can create your own destiny? Like you can actually you know, you can build your own business or build the thing you want to see in the world. And it was super uncool uh, 12 years ago to be an entrepreneur. So I can't really stress enough. Like it feel like now there's so much excitement about it, but I called my parents and we did not know a single person who wanted to be an entrepreneur or was an entrepreneur. Like when I grew up, the best jobs and like the wealthiest people you know, they were in traditional business. Maybe they're in real estate or maybe they were lawyers. And I was just from that moment, though, something like clicked. And I was like, I need to chase my entrepreneurial dreams. Of course, I had no idea what to do. And I literally remember, you know, going to my first, you know, quote, networking event, trying to meet people. I'm, you know, cold calling people from advertisements I would see in the newspaper. Like I was literally, you know, just first I tried to build a t-shirt company and a consulting company. I was just you know, I knew that I wanted to build something, but I, had, I didn't really know what, I didn't know how, and I just said, you know what, I got to figure this out. That's actually so insightful. I mean, we started to talk a little bit about it before we jumped into this episode, and you just started to talk about how you had actually built a community around Summit, and here we are taking it all the way back and just straight cold calling to build a network, which... Many folks, honestly, they, 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 uh, it's, it's surprising to me, at least a lot of young people that I talk to, they, uh, they completely overlook the power of the work that you have to put in. Uh, half of, more than half of the word network is work because you actually have to do the work of relationship building. And so that's super insightful. Um, moving on, you're self-described as not being very popular in high school. But a great deal of your success has been through your ability to connect with people. How do you reconcile that? Not being popular, but then actually being able to connect people the way you've been able to do so today. Well, life is all about learning and constantly improving. Um, it's just really awkward growing up. Um, it's really awkward, you know, when you're a teenager and, 
you know, as you get into your, your late teens and your early 20s, and some people it just clicks flawlessly, and others it, do, it really doesn't click, and it definitely did not click for me. Um, I didn't really have the mentors around me at the time. Um, I didn't really have, you know, peers in high school who were inspiring me, and I certainly, you know, it didn't click for me. And so I remember with my brother, you know, before he played piano, you know, he started playing piano as a teenager, but before that, he was just like lost, you know, because he had like this gift inside of him that needed, I mean, maybe you can relate, like it needed to come out. But before he could like let it out, he was just, his like beauty and soul couldn't be exposed. And that was like me and entrepreneurship. It's like, I wanted to like, you know, I'm, I'm a voracious learner, but when you don't have the right things in front of you to learn, um, you can just get really lost. But, and isn't that kind of the plight of society? Like all of the brilliant people who aren't able to get on the right track because, you know, they don't have the right mentorships in front of them just because they're not on the right track. And you could call that popularity, but you could also call that um, finding your passion, right? They've, they've kind of gotten lost, but that doesn't mean there's not a brilliance deep inside of them. Sure, sure. You started helping your dad with the advertising component of BizNow, which is, you know, for everyone that's listening, it's a real estate news platform that you guys founded together. And then something went off inside of you and you said, you know what, I'm going to do this full time. I'm dropping out of school. What was that conversation like with the parents? School is the best possible time to build a startup because you truly have no pressure. If it doesn't work, there's actually no expectations. And you're already, you know, you're in your dorm. Right. You're already going to class. And uh, so what happened for me was we start this business and uh, you can think of it, you know, business insider for, you know, news about commercial real estate industry, this massive, you know, trillion dollar global industry, but where's all the news about it? Right. And we said, you know what, we're going to be the news platform and we're also going to be the events platform. And, um, you know, it was my dad's idea. And after a couple months, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my, with this, like, what did I want to do entrepreneurially? And he said, Hey, why don't you come be the advertising sales person? And I thought, this is a dream come true, which, I mean, it just was. Like, in that moment, I thought, what could possibly be better? I'm a co-founder of a company, and I get to build it with my bare hands, and I get to, I get to be the one to, to see if it succeeds or fails. Looking back, it might seem kind of silly that, like, my dream job was selling advertising, but it truly was. And I took all of my heart and soul, maybe that I'd applied to sports, I started getting up at 4.30 in the morning, and I literally, I was a ruthless cold caller. I would cold call, I would cold email, but I was so friendly and I was so excited. And, <laughs> you know, in the same way, now I see a youthful optimism in people in their teens and early 20s. Right. People saw that youthful optimism in me. I actually really embraced being young, right? I think a lot of people pretend to be older. I just embraced who I was. I was this, you know, unpolished, but super excitable kid. And people really really liked um, just that energy. And um, I told them my story. And so anyway, I literally started hitting the phones, cold calling. My parents said, look, Elliot, we're going to give you 20% of anything you can sell. If you can sell some ads. Right. I had a day, July 1st, 2006. Uh, 10 years ago was my first day on the job. On July 20th, I sold my first ad package uh, to a guy named Bob. I made a, uh, uh, I made a bronze silver and gold package. I printed it on my word computer and the, the middle package, the silver was $6,000. And I brought it in and I laid it in front of me, said, we're going to do the silver package. And I said, uh, 
okay, well, normally when you do that type of uh, deal, you know, then what, what, how do you like to be followed up with? Because I actually had no idea right. what to do next. I never actually made a sale. Right. And all I knew was in my head, I was like, I'm about to make $1,200. I'm rich. I just changed the game. And he goes, you know, you, you do X, Y, and Z. And I literally, you know, looked it up as soon as I got home. And that, that was the path. And by the, that was um, right before my junior year of college. But during the beginning of junior year, I sold almost a million dollars of ads. Right. And, uh, you know, I'd, <laughs> the checks, you know, instead of dorm 702, I put, you know, sweet 702. Right. And the checks were coming to my dorm or to my parents' house. And we literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of checks. And I was making like tens of thousands of dollars a month. And I just said to my parents, I said, this is like, this is why you go to college is to find your passion and to lock in on something and to build a career. And I said, I just found my passion. I found my career. I'm, I'm not going off on a dream. Like I'm here. I have the focus. And they said, all right, well, go for it. And that was it, man. I, I moved back into my parents' house. I had no sense of money at the time. And I distinctly remember going, walking blocks out of the way at an ATM machine because there was a $2 fee and going to the ones with no fee. I distinctly remember, you know, not going to Cadoba or Chipotle, you know, for a meal and saying, look, I'm just going to wait, even though I'm a little hungry, just because it's, you know, eight bucks or 10 bucks. Like, even though I had a good upbringing, you know, my parents were disciplined with money. And I just, I absolutely remember being 18, 19, 20 years old, and even when I first started making money, not even having a concept, thinking this might go away, and I literally, I left college. I said, I'm not spending my own money um, on an apartment. Like, I'm moving back into my bedroom, and I'm saving money. And I just, I literally hit it so hard. I got, and we, we grew up in Washington, D.C. I said, I have an amazing idea. We're going to get an office next door to the White House. There was a shared office space. You know how WeWork is just the absolute best coolest co-working space. I wish that WeWork had existed. That's my dream. Right. We had to go to this garbage co-work, like shared office space. And we got an interior office, but the address was 1701 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I would literally call people. I'm like, here I am. I'm at 1701 Pennsylvania. Yeah. The White House is across the street. Like, obviously I wasn't going to the White House. Right. And uh, that was it, man. Like I moved home. I hustled. I got like this super cheap office space that had like a really good address. And I just like cold called and I started going to events and uh, that was it, man. Like I was off and running, building, you know, our dream startup. Thanks for tuning in. It's time to take a quick break to hear from our brand partner. I'm Jeremy Clement. I'm co-founder of Project Expedition. We're a tours and activities website with over 2,400 different tours and activities in 42 countries around the world. You can book anything that you want to do. Um, before you get to your destination. So whether it's whitewater rafting, scuba diving, deep sea fishing, or even a multi-day trip visiting um, all of the Mayan ruins in Central America, uh, we can organize that for you and you can book it directly on projectexpedition.com. And because we're a, a global travel company and we have a lot of domestic partners, it's really important that I can stay in touch uh, with our clients, our partners, uh, the tour operators and the, di the different destinations that we partner with, our investors here in the States, as well as my colleagues in the office. Um, and being a Verizon customer gives me the opportunity to stay easily connected um, and available uh, anytime anybody needs to get in touch with me. And we're back. And build it, you have. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the rumor is that uh, recently you guys sold BizNow to the Wix group for, you know, it's rumored that it's like $50 million. 
that's an incredible exit. Coming off of an exit now, the ambition just continues, right? I think that success is always going to be fuel for the fire to continue to push further, to reach for even you know more incredible heights. And right now, we're really we're looking at you just bought a mountain for forty million dollars. The deal came together super fast. You guys did raise money for that, right? We actually raise the money by effectively pre-selling home sites. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is, you know, if you do need capital, what are the creative ways that you can raise capital? And with the company with my dad, we did need capital, but there were creative ways to pre-sell advertising packages. Right. And maybe you give someone a special deal. And with Powder Mountain, um, we came up with a game plan, which was effectively to give great deals, like extremely great deals to the earliest people who put money into the project. And so rather than doing what I would call a traditional equity finance, so in every news, every single article that you read about venture capital, 99% of venture capital is equity financing. It's where someone buys a percentage of your company for money that they give you. Sure. That is 99% of venture capital. My strong belief is that there are a lot of other ways to raise money. And every single person told us at Powder Mountain, we need to do an equity financing. And we blew everyone away by coming up with what's called a founding member program. And the easiest way to describe it is that, you know, we're building a town and the town's going to have 500 single family home sites. It's going to be a progressive, gorgeous town of the future. Um, it's going to be a town where you can come to think and dream. Like if you imagine, um, you know, the next generation of maybe a Telluride or a Park City. Um, so how are you going to fund it? Well, our strategy was create a founding member program where the first 40 people that put in money later on in the project, they could get all or a percentage of their money back and they could get, you know, discounts on home sites depending on when they came in. Right. And, you know, it, there's obviously it's complicated to do that. Um, you know, it takes a lot of legal paperwork, uh, but it's a strategy that allowed us to not have to do an equity financing. And um, and and I just I really believe that it's important to, to be contrarian. So that's been our approach. Right. Is right. We're not going to go down a traditional path because how can you how can you say you're going to build a visionary town, but then take traditional financing. Like, guess what financing means? It means they want very specific returns. And I always talk about, you know, ROI versus ROC. So ROI, return on investment. ROC is return on community. Or you could even say return on values. And like if you, Ryan, are investing money into, say, your personal health and wellness or into your, you know, maybe you're going to get something for your family as a thank you to them and you're going to get them a car. Like right. that's, that's a return on values, a return on family. Like if that's a venture capitalist putting in money, you know, or that's a, that's a, you know, a traditional investor, most of the time, not always, most of the time, the end of the day, they need specific returns. And we had this vision, all right, we're going to make Powder Mountain a really, really special place. Like we care deeply about community. We want to like our lives happen in towns, right? And we want to build a spectacular neighborhood. And so we need to finance that with people who actually buy into the project. So they actually care as much about the return on the community as they do the return on their investment. Um, and so I think uh, whether it's on Powder Mountain, whether it's on Summit, you're continuing to bring people together. 
Where do you think Summit goes in the future? What's next? Well, we're in an amazing time, um, you know, where the people are leading the movements. And sometimes they're part of the solution and sometimes they're part of the problem. And I mean, if you just look at what happened in just the last couple months with Brexit, with Trump, and then what I would say was monumentally incredible on the, on the flip side, Standing Rock defeated energy transfer partners. I mean, the people are creating movements in a way that's never been seen, right? And, you know, yes. with Summit, in big picture, we want to be part of the solution. We want to be part of the future, right? We want to bring together the people who are solving the problems. And that, 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 that covers every possible category or area. I want to be part of the solution when it comes to the environment and environmental protection. I want to be, I want to be part of the solution um, you know, when it comes to prison reform. I want to be part of the solution when it comes to you know, entrepreneurships and actually building great companies where good, biz, where good business is also good for the world. Yeah. Right? I want to be part of the solution in every possible way. And that can happen right now. And on the flip side, you know, there's more access for people to get things done that I believe are not part of the solution. And the social networks, like we saw, they're platforms. They are not inherently good. No. <laughs> you know, we started as an events organization. Um, around the time I was building that business with my dad, and I didn't know anyone, and he said, you know, brought up how I had, had been unpopular in high school, and I didn't know anyone, and I was trying to build a business. I had this idea. I'm going to cold call people that I'd read about, and I'm going to invite them to come on a trip. And I'd saved up a bit of money, and I actually got 19 people to come on a ski trip. This is in 2007. And I got 19 people to come on this ski trip. And uh, that was the start of Summit. And from there, everyone said, hey, let's do another. And the next trip had 60 people. But someone invited, um, you know, someone invited, you know, Tony Shea from, right. from Zappos. Or someone invited, you know, one of the founders of Facebook or um, Tim Ferriss. Like, there were these amazing people who started coming. You were one of them in, in, the, in those early trips. And then the next trip was 120 people and then 250 and then 750, we did that summit at sea was 1,500 people. We started getting people like, you know, President Clinton and Richard Branson. Yeah. And our house band was The Roots. And uh, it started getting surreal. This year uh, at our major annual event, so Summit's best known for doing this annual flagship event. This year, 3,500 people. Um, you know, we had Quentin Tarantino interviewing Kendrick Lamar. Um, we've, had, we've had, you know, Eric Schmidt last year interview, interviewing... Travis Kalanick from Uber. So we've brought, you know, incredible change makers and incredible people. And we've, we've really, really pushed hard um, when asking our, ourselves the question, who are we going to put up on a platform? This year we get Aaron Brockovich talking about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. We really ask ourselves, what is the purpose of these events? And the purpose for us is we want to bring people who are activated, people who are ready to make change, people who are ready to be part of the solution, we want to bring these people together and we want to connect them with other folks so that they can get the funding they need, they can have the relationships they need, and they can be part of, you know, a progressive movement to keep, you know, making our communities, our cities, our states, our country, um, you know, better and better and better. Right. And I, I always felt that when I was in those early days at Summit, I always felt like, wow, you know, what did I actually do? That's how deeply humbled I felt. 
at actually being in the company of real game changers, you know, and, and I may have said it before, but we'll say it again on record. I really just appreciate being invited to be a part of that. I made some lasting friendships, but we've had some fun times and there, there've definitely been some incredible stories that have been woven from the relationships that are made at summit. Let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. What is it that it actually takes to find that balance, work, life, health, etc.? I remember in those early days, uh, it was so interesting to, to observe Summit. The core team was a distributed core team, and you guys would actually get a house. I remember coming out and visiting the house down in Miami, and you guys would work everywhere. I think it was every six weeks you would move somewhere crazy and work uh, leading up to the main event. Is it still working like that now? How has life actually changed now that I think it's Nicole, right? Your wife, Nicole Davis. How has it changed now that you're a husband? Yeah, well, I think life should also be approached in a contrarian way. And I think we should look for examples all around us of how we want to live. Um, but, you know, in the same way you can build any career you want, or you can start any movement you want, like in the same way that part of the world is at our fingertips. I mean, the world is truly at our fingertips in terms of living a life you want. And that's even if you have a job or if you're in a startup, because I know at the beginning of my startup days, you know, it was way worse than a nine to five job. I mean, a startup doesn't mean go on vacation anytime you want, set hours anytime you want. I mean, a startup can mean that you're literally working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and so, you know, early on, I did get sucked into the rat race. And again, the rat race is it can be in a, in a job where you have an employer or it can be when you run a business. But the rat race is when you don't make time for yourself. It's when you don't make time for your health and wellness. And ultimately, the rat race is when you think there's a pot of gold at the end of the tunnel because, you know, or at the end of the bridge because um, there may well be, but that would be an awful shame uh, for that to be 20 years from now or 10 years from now and you not to get the most out of life that you can right now, not be your best, most inspired, healthiest self right now. Um, and just to, you know, not become your most educated self right now. And so we've made a commitment, you know, over these last, you know, I would say seven years, because the first two years we were really figuring it out. But we made a commitment that said, that where we said, look, we're going to build a business. But we're also going to live at the same time. You know, we're not going to just be heads down in our business, not caring about the world around us. Sure. It's, you know, you don't want to. I don't think it's a good way to live being an entrepreneur who always looks to extract value. I'm looking to make money. I'm looking to build something. I'm looking to put out a product, but it's about what I'm doing and the value I'm extracting. You want to be the entrepreneur. What are you giving, right? What are you, what are you taking? What are you giving? And you want to be giving a lot more than you're taking. And, um, and so we made this commitment for really the last seven years. We want to be able to see the world. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to live healthy lifestyles. We want to be able to spend time with our friends and family. And we want to make sure that our business, you know, we really build in parts of the business um, that, are do, that are doing good, important work for the communities we're in or, or the country that we're in. And um, yeah, there was a point where at the early days, you know, we did just have a half a dozen people and we're, you know, we're, we're building, you know, one event a year. And there was a point where we scratched our heads and we thought, hey, you know, we just have this one event a year why not, uh, since we don't have to be anywhere, like rather than work in office, let's go travel a little. Let's go explore. You know, I think that, uh, you know, traveling can be decadent or traveling can be the ultimate education. Anything can be either one, right? And 
our travel became our ultimate education. Right. Um, we got to live on a houseboat in Amsterdam. We lived in Nicaragua for a couple months. We got to see Miami, which like any you know, great global city has its amazing sides and its challenges. We, we got to really, really explore. We, we lived in Montana at one point and got to see you know, mountain life. And so we really went about these last seven years um, you know, integrating our lives. And I think as we've gotten, you know, went from our early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, now kind of the founding team's 31. We have uh, about 40 people on the Summit Series team. And at Powder Mountain, there's about 300 people that work there. Um, you know, we've really kind of grounded as a business. We've set up permanent locations. Um, but, you know, we still encourage everyone, you know, live the life you've imagined. There's no, there's no reason why you know, you can't take a Friday, Saturday, Sunday off and go on an amazing road trip. Or when you do your, your vacation, you don't necessarily need to go sit on the beach. You can go on an amazing exploration. So right. I'm kind of the person who's like, wow, there's like a weekend off. Like, what wild thing can I, like, where can I, where can I get to from New York City in a weekend? Because the answer is for almost no money, you can get a lot of amazing, amazing places. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, just we're really, really focused on, on work-life balance and living a healthy, conscious, aware uh, life where, you're, where your life is also your education. Right. How's life different with Nicole? Is it absolutely amazing as I would imagine it is? Tell me a little bit about it. And what's the schedule like now? Is it different that now you're caring for obviously yourself, but you've joined together with a, a life partner that you also have to care about? First of all, she's amazing. Um, I decided to pick a partner who I felt perfectly complimented me. And, you know, I don't want another Elliot. Elliot has lots of, you know, positives, and I've got lots of negatives. And I would say, you know, my negatives are that I can be so excitable, and I can be so fired up, and I can be so go, 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 that I just, I forget to check in. You know, I forget to, like, drop in to where I am, I forget to ground, I forget to be present, I forget to, you know, literally, you know, look at the nature around me, nature in any city, I, I can just get so into it. And Nicole is such a grounded, thoughtful person. Um, I forget to see the humanity in other people. All the things I call people out for, those are, those are my problems as well, right? I forget to check in, I forget to be self-aware. And I think having a partner, mm. um, who that's, that's just who she is in her, literally in her nature, is self-aware, connected, grounded, um, you know, whereas I'm going and I'm at, at an, I'll be at an event and I'll talk to 20 different people in an hour, literally the first person she'll walk up to, she won't even know them, and an hour later she's still in the same conversation with that person, and I'll say, well, who was that person? And she's like, no, I don't even know yet. We just, we're so deep into this one thing, and... Um, right. That's just been the part of my life that as I get, you know, into my early 30s, I've wanted to complete. I think being a complete person makes you, it's going to make it make you a better business person, make you a better, you know, father or mother. Um, so it's been an amazing partnership. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then I would say finally we both, the thing that we share in common is we both love nature and love being in nature. And when you're so in the grind working, you can just forget to be in nature. Like we live on this amazing, epic planet in this ecosystem. Like it's all around us. You can go months without appreciating the beauty um, of what that is. You know, you just get in your car and drive, you know, 90 minutes out of New York or 
90 minutes out of LA, or really out of any city. We have one of the best national park systems in the world. If probably, well, actually, we have the best. Um, you know, we're really on a kick of going to American national parks. We just love it. They're free. Like I always say, all my favorite things to do are free. That's probably the thing we most share is just being in nature, exploring, and um, you know, finding time to pull away in our busy lives. I know we have limited time, so I want to get to some, some actionable takeaways that people who have listened to this. I, I mean, it's been an incredible talk, incredible discussion. What can we take away from this as people wind down and get back into their own pursuits? You've spent time talking with so many unique people, Tim Ferriss, Kobe Bryant, Bill Clinton, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Kendrick Lamar, Edward Snowden. What is the best advice you've received? Who did it come from? The best advice I ever got was from my brother, who, when I asked him what the best piece of advice he ever got was, he said, listen. And I love listening because everything you just described when you're around these people, you have to listen. Right. And I feel like for so much of my life, I was ready to talk while I was listening. I'll say something actionable. I try to talk 30% of the time and ask questions 70% of the time. And I'm so into listening and asking questions that I actually, when people ask me questions, most of the time I just ignore their questions and I just ask them a question. I couldn't do that on this, on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> listen, people need to like truly, truly listen. Um, you know, a couple, a couple other, you know, actionable takeaways. Um, I love the quote, keep it surreal. I was, I was at a dinner with someone once. This is like six years ago, and they asked me, they said, do you keep it real? And I said, yeah, of course I keep it real. And they said, well, everyone keeps it real. You need to keep it surreal. And I've tried <laughs> to apply that to everything. Um, you know, other things that have been extremely helpful in my life. Um, you know, I started meditating three years ago doing transcendental meditation, 20 mm. minutes, twice a day. That was a game changer. I think any form of meditation, any form of stillness, whether you want to get on headspace or whether you want to, you know, commit to more of a practice is unbelievable. Um, quiet and space and stillness, you know, is not listening, you know, to music and reading at night. That's an important thing to do, but that's not quiet. Um, I think being unscheduled and leaving space in your schedule to think. You know, Warren Buffett is famous for having, you know, maybe one thing in his schedule a day. And he's the kind of person who could travel over the world and have all day for the rest, you know, forever programmed. Um, so taking space. Um, and I walk all the time. That's another actionable takeaway. I generally refuse to do a meeting or a phone call or anything if I'm not walking and talking. Yes. And so I find, you know, it is hard to always get workouts in the day um, but when you're walking and talking, like I'll find, man, I just got through the day. I'm more invigorated. Steve Jobs was super famous for walking and talking. Yes. And that gave me a lot of inspiration. And so just why not? It's like at the end of every day, you've walked five miles. You feel great. You're moving. Um, Let me jump in. Good. You've been able to meet so many incredible people. First off, you know, yeah, there were people that you read about and you cold called them. You invited them on a ski trip. It grew to 3,500 people. Who else is left in the world that you would love to meet? Well, I really, really wanted to meet Maya Angelou and Nelson Mandela. Um, those are probably two people that I've spent so much time thinking about, learning about, yes. reading about, yes. um, like truly been inspired. I think, you know, a lot of the big names that are associated with Summit um, 
and just associated with anything. We live in a world where the big names are what sell. Um, they're ultimately not necessarily what is most inspiring for me personally. Um, you know, I think, you know, from an Edward Snowden, you know, I learned, you know, sometimes something is, is so great, it's worth sacrificing yourself for that. Yes. Um, from a Kobe Bryant, I always had this mentality. I interviewed him in Shanghai earlier this year. I always had this mentality that, um, you know, great people know how to deal with pressure and pressure is an opportunity. And he actually squashed that and he said, pressure isn't real because pressure is just your ego. And so he literally flipped my entire 20 years of, of how I even thought the best people can handle with pressure. I was just like, yeah, they understand what's at stake. So they get 30s like, no, it's not real. I haven't dealt with it in my career. Yes. Um, for <laughs> me, like probably the most inspiration I've had recently is the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. I mean, when you think about people who've been oppressed, um, you know, the only thing the Native Americans ever did wrong was show up here before us. Yes. Right? And... You know, you look at what they've gone through for hundreds of years and what they just did um, blocking the Dakota Access Pipeline. I mean, whether you think the pipeline should be there or not, put that aside, politics aside, you know, it started with six kids who ran, you know, 1,500 miles to Washington, D.C. to have their case heard. And these people, these are middle school teachers. You know, these are, these are people who, um, you know, one kid, you know, four siblings and has to work at the Radisson from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. every night. Like, these are people with no connections, with no powers, people, people who have been trampled over their entire lives, given no respect, and they just stood up to one of, you know, some of the most powerful corporations and interests in the world sure. and built a global movement. So that's probably been my biggest inspiration these last couple months. Like, we get to live because the media on, is, so, is so embedded right now, because everyone's the media. We are all media because yes. we get to live right now inside of the campaigns. We got to actually see what Trump just pulled off. We got to see what, you know, what just happened at Standing Rock. We got to see what happened at Brexit. We got to see the polls be wrong. But the reality is we are in, we're in it. And so there's just so much knowledge to embrace every day. Sure. Um, it, 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 re it really, really blows my mind. Sure. I always end off with this, this question. Given the opportunity to trade jobs with anyone in the world, even just for a day, who would it be and why? I would trade jobs with someone exploring the greatest wilderness on earth. I think that's probably my biggest interest right now is that we live on this incredible planet and I've been so focused on work and you know, you're, you're, you're working, you're in offices, you're on the phone, you're in front of a screen and I've just... I'm so interested in the planet we live on that is ignored, it's neglected, and as much as we've seen, there is so much out there. I'd want to spend time, you know, in the middle of Patagonia uh, with, you know, with, with an amazing explorer, being an amazing explorer, and standing in the great wildernesses of the world, standing in the middle of Kenya, yes. uh, you know, as a safari guide. That's what, that's what I would want to do. That's amazing. Thank you so much, brother. All right, thanks. If you like what you heard today, come back and check out more Art of the Hustle stories. For more about Art of the Hustle, go to iHeartRadio.com slash Art of the Hustle. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards 
like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind-the-scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 